When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast Interview Special. It's our September interview, uh, and we're cracking on with now with this with this new series. Joining me as ever is Jack Pierce. Jack, how are you? I'm very well, Jim. I'm, I'm hot, but I'm very well. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, looking forward to, to getting this one out. It was, it was a good, it was a good chat with. Uh, well, you haven't even introduced him, so I'll, I'll let you kind of introduce us. But yeah, it was a uh, a good chat with. Well, star of stage and screen, but not just that. Stage, screen, and um, the Palace Trust back in the day, which we talk about a lot. Uh, it's the one and only Jim Piddock, um, who is a well, a legend of the Hollywood uh, actor, writer, um, and a legend of Palace. Uh, been around for a long time. We talk about his initial getting into Palace and set up the trust in '99, which literally saved the club from existence. So, I mean, how many how many clubs can say their Hollywood fans have done that? Uh, yeah, not not many, and uh, I'll be honest, I didn't know the extent of his involvement with the club. So the detail he goes into that is uh, is really quite fascinating. So hopefully, uh, presumably, some of our listeners, you know, weren't around for the administration of ninety nine. So it'll, it'll take some listeners back to a time um, that, that they won't be around, and it'll take other listeners back to a time that I'm sure they'd probably uh, prefer to forget. But yeah, fascinating insight from Jim on that one, um, and and so much more. Indeed. Now, I should say, as ever with this interview series this season, we're delighted that it is sponsored by our friends at Eternity Home Finance. They're a Croydon-based, palace-supporting, family-run mortgage and protection advisors. From getting on the property ladder to planning your retirement, email info at eternityhomefinance.com for a free consultation, quoting the code FYP. And we're delighted they're with us with this interview uh, series. Jack, I'm enjoying these interviews. It's nice, isn't it? It's a nice little break from the main pod and chance to really sort of get down to it with, uh, well, some Palace legends, as Jim is. Yep. Uh, nice to not talk about the immediacy of everything. It's nice to kind of look back and, and chat through different times. So uh, start with Johnny Ertel. And if you have not listened to that one yet, listener, then uh, feel free to, to go back and get that one. That was a, a fun chat. There's a slightly different tone with this one. <laughs> Jim, perhaps not as bombastic as uh, as Johnny, but... Yeah, uh, not as yeah. into um, the timber timber trade in yeah. Uh, LA. Yeah, we, spoiler alert, uh, Jim Piddock does not have shares in a Austrian timber firm. <laughs> um, but no, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot to talk about with Jim and... Uh, it was just really, yeah, really nice chat. He's he's currently based, or he, at the time of the interview, at least he was he was based in the UK. And, and I think Jimmy recorded it just before the season started. So, you know, we were all full of uh, the optimism of of uh, what the new season would bring. And as we record this intro, it's been a fairly positive start to the season for us all. So, um, yeah, uh, looking forward to listening back to this one actually because it's so long ago since we recorded it. I can't quite remember everything we recorded other than uh, some some quite yeah wonderful insight from Jim and, and his tales of 
which will resonate with a lot of our listeners, tales of being a Palace fan from afar as well, because he's been based in the States for yeah. so long as well. So, um, you know, hopefully some of uh, Jim's uh, contributions to this interview will, will resonate with, with many of our listeners who, who we know listen from afar. I think this interview will resonate with possibly the widest uh, Venn, not Venn diagram, sec- subsection of our listeners, because you've got people that listen, watch from afar, yeah. people that have been watching since the, I think, late 70s, his first uh, game was. Uh, well, he, start, he talks about the promotion team. Um, oh, wow, so it's late, late 60s. 60s. Sorry. Yeah. So, you know, big span of a palace life. Um, and so I think there will be a lot of people be able to, to relate this young, old, here or afar. Um, I think we should just crack on with it, shouldn't we? Absolutely. As ever with these interviews, we, we, we garble on too much before we get going. The listeners not listen for us. Let's, get Let's skip it. Let's skip it. Although I, sh- I should say, they're all, none of these are time sensitive. So obviously we recorded this one a couple of months ago and throughout the season, you might find us recording at different parts of the season, but we are generally, they're, they're looking back. They're, they're, they're looking back rather than looking forward. So Retro- um, uh, Retrospectives. Retrospectives. Uh, and there's plenty of that with the legend that is Jim Piddock on the FYP podcast. Back to the Five Plan podcast, sponsored by Eternity Home Finance for a free consultation. Email info at eternityhomefinance.com and quote the code FYP. Now, joining us today, we welcome a man who left the UK to take on Hollywood as a team of the 80s took center stage in SE25. An actor who has starred with the great and good of film and TV, but always maintained his love for Palace from afar. From the five-year engagement to the five-year plan. That's beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Jim Piddock. Jim, how you doing? Wow. Cool. That's a stretch. How long did you take to come up with that? <laughs> that, that, that was Jack's, Jack's work. Brilliant. Couple of, minute, couple of minutes, Jim. But... The five-year engagement to five-year plan. Wow. There's always a connection for everything. <laughs> Got to find the link if there is one. Yeah, exactly. God. Yeah. Well, you know, with this new interview series, we're uh, we're getting serious now. We're really getting serious. We're 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 softening those edges, Jack, and we're uh, we're cracking on. <laughs> oh, but Jim, it's good you've been on the pod before um, numerous times. I think to talk about Palace, it's lovely to have you back. Before we get into your Palace story uh, and how you became to be a Palace fan, just tell us where you are now, because I know you're a bit of an international jet setter. What you're up to at the moment? I'm in West London, in Fulham, to be exact. Uh, I am not up to a lot because I'm on strike. I'm on double strike as a writer and an actor. So I'm frequently crossing my own picket lines and confronting myself on a daily basis. Um, And I'm just uh, actually quite happy to take the summer off, which I always like to do because I'm officially a lazy bastard now. Um, And there's not much actually that can happen. Uh, I got a couple of projects based in the UK. So even those are frozen because they need they've got American money attached and stuff. So um, I'm just uh, just kind of enjoying the summer, to be honest. Yeah, I, I'm also, I'm, I'm less on strike from the industry, more the industry is on strike from me. Um, yeah, well, that does happen too. And, and, I, and I didn't want to mention that. But, <laughs> but yeah, my <laughs> career was kind of cancelled without anyone telling me. Um, no. Uh, uh, yes, we'll see what happens in the next month or two. Um but to be honest with you, it's uh, it's 
it doesn't really matter to me. It's it's just like things things seem to happen when they happen. I mean, speak, speaking of the last time I saw you was the Palace Aid Life at Stellar yeah. Park, which was about a six, no, almost two months ago now. I can't really remember. Um, yeah. You put in a very solid performance in there. How are you? Uh, as I said to you on the pitch, with probably the best JP that's played at Stellar. How are is the reco- how is the recovery gone since then? Um, I'm still recovering. Um, no, it, it's it's about three or four days, which is why I didn't go to the training session before. Because I said, if you go, I go to the training session, you don't get me for the game. I, I actually played, I think I played about half the game, and I felt absolutely fine. I could have played another half. Um, I played, that's the only game I played other than last Saturday. I played for 70 minutes on ones with coming in a game. And I was more knackered after that. I was much more knackered. Um, and that took me about two or three days to fully recover. Yeah. Was that the first just, time, Jim, you you played at Selhurst? Was that ticking off a bit of a No, it was the third time. Third time oh, okay. I played. Last time I played, I scored a penalty against Perry Suckling. Um, this time I did absolutely nothing except run around chasing people and doing a lot of pointing and shouting. Yeah. We, we've had several players that have done the same thing over the years. So Yeah, sure no, it works. It works for, for, for me at this point. You know, it's um it's basically kind of uh de rigueur for me. I think that was, that was basically Carl Fletcher's career summed up, I think. In, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, and he was club captain, so, yeah. It, yeah. Um, but I don't know how much longer I can keep keep you know slogging around. I, as I say, I think I may have set a Guinness Book of Records as 67 years old, being the oldest player ever to play in a semi-competitive game at Selhurst Park. Uh, yeah. So you get to a point where it's diminishing returns. It's not a, a lack of desire. It's a lack of ability and a lack of mobility. I just literally can't do the things that I used to not be able to do very well in the first place. Yeah, I think I don't think that record will get bettered unless it, potentially it might be by Joel Ward um, when he has his inevitable one-year yeah. career extension for the next 35 years and he's still at right back. I think Joel is probably smart enough to know when to call it quits. Um, so uh, I'm not, unfortunately. Yeah, it was a great day. Great, great day. And obviously, we'll be uh, bringing our listeners more updates on everything the Palace for Life are doing. Um, and hopefully, we'll both be getting the call for next year's <laughs> game. Uh, Speak for yourself. Yeah, no, I, I, it was great fun. I mean, I love uh, Palace for Life. is very dear to my heart. So it was fun. I was able to rope in an old friend of mine, Alessandro Nivola, who came out. And it, it was really a lovely, a lovely occasion. And, and I hope it you know, did well for them. And I hope they continue to, to do the game. Me too. Speaking of Palace in your heart, then, let's go back all those years. Tell us how you became a Palace fan. Uh, and then tell us your story about moving west and sort of maybe sort of moving away from Palace. Yeah, I, I fell in love with football in 1966 uh, when I was quite young. Um, and uh, the World Cup, I, I wasn't really interested in football till then. And I, I ended up watching the first game of the World England game and then became hooked. And then obviously England won it, and I should have quit while I was ahead. <laughs> uh, and then after that, it was a question of who do you support? And I, I for, for a few months, supported Manchester United because they had Bobby Charlton and etc. And then I kind of went, this is ridiculous. I, I've never been north of Watford, and nor do I intend to. So um, I need to, at this tender age of whatever I was, uh, to pick to, to, to a team that's nearby. So it was Palace, Millwall, or Charlton. And... and uh, I suppose a bit like I think Steve Parrish has gone on record saying they had the best best kit. For me, the name was 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 part of it, and the kit too. And so I, um, yeah, Charlton and Millwall got got paced out, 
And um, yeah, it became like all of us. It became a, a friend, you know, it became a sanctuary, became therapy for where you could express your emotions as a repressed British male. So uh, I, I really fell in love with it and I fell in love with playing football. And, um, and then I, when I was 24, I was offered a three-month job in the U.S. Um, my father had just died, and, and I, I'd just come out of a working quite solidly as an actor for the first two years of my career, and I was out of work, and I didn't like that very much. So I took this job, um, which was basically directing at the drama school I'd been to here. They opened up upper one in Berkeley, California. And I went out there to direct a couple of shows for them. I directed a couple of things in rep here, bizarrely, at the age of 24. I don't know how I conned people into letting me do that. And then I never came back. So it's really the story. I, I went and I did a one-man show about a football goalkeeper that called The Boy's Own Story that took off in a way that I'd never have expected. And um, I think about, let's see how long it was, about a year, about a year and six months after I went to America, I was on Broadway. So wow. my career went from... Um, weekly and fortnightly rep in uh, Chelmsford and, and Torquay to, uh, to sort of starring in a Broadway show. So I, I got very fortunate. Um, I mean, I, I say that it was self-starting. I definitely was entrepreneurial enough to, to get the rights to the one-man show, and, which cost me nothing, and um, to do it. And, and it, it happened to be successful. And I parlayed that into to a career on Broadway at, at first and then after three years of doing different Broadway shows, I, I ended up <coughs> moving west and um, doing t TV and film ever since. So that was—it's been a long time. I mean, I'm like, I, I think I've been an actor now for 45 years. Wow! Been a writer for about uh, probably five, probably 10 years less, so 35 years. I think. So before before you went before you got that gig. Uh, that call to go uh, to America. Were you going to Palace Games? Can you remember what your first game yeah. was? Yeah, my first game was Charlton away in the FA Cup. Uh, my dad, it was the only game I went to my dad. It was nil-nil. And then my second game I went to was home to Middlesbrough in the promotion season, 68-69. And that was nil-nil. Uh, and then I saw us win 3-1 against Portsmouth, I think. And then I was at the, Char the Fulham game where we got promotion to the first division for the first time. So those are my first games. Um, and, and then I was quite regular. I mean, I played football for London University uh, second eleven, and occasionally for the first team. I kind of, when they were really desperate, I'd go get promoted to the first team. And then after I left university, I was playing for the London University Old Boys. So I tended to be playing sometimes, you know, when Palace were, were playing in the last year or two. But I would get there. I would get to probably ten to fifteen games a season. At least. I mean, before that, I was going to almost every single home game, you know. Um, but it, it often clashed with me playing. Um, and, and then, you know, in the last few years, I've probably seen about the same 10 to 15 games a season. So, um, so, so Jim, that, that first kind of batch of fixtures or, that you first attended, I mean, fortune was on your side and that's when you're kind of learning your, your palace life and you're seeing a team flying. So that's the team of kind of Mel Blythe, Jerry Queen... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't really the first. I mean, I, I, I supported them from from afar before that the season before when we were very mediocre, and then that season, yeah, we went up coming second, and uh, yeah, it was Mel Blythe, John Jackson, Steve Campbell were my two favourite players, um, and and then you know the, 
the first division, it was sort of reality was a little different. Jim Cannon, you know, came in and um, it, it was always a struggle and we never seemed to stay there for very long. But it was, I remember that first home game against Manchester United that we drew 2-2 and I mean, the excitement was phenomenal. And to see that kind of, that palace, Manchester United was extraordinary. Um, so, and then obviously we've, we've hit, hit a lot of downs since then as well. Yeah, that first game, because weirdly, my A-level project, I did a, I made a little magazine about that team, that 69 team, because that was the first time Palace had got promoted to the top yeah. flight ever. So it was a big, big team. I think we ended up being there for four years in the end, I think, before going down. But that game against United, I think Jerry Queen scored one or maybe two. Uh, and I think the headline was something like, Queen reigns at the Palace. Yeah, uh, well, they often used that when Jerry Queen was playing. You know, Queen in brawl at Palace too. <laughs> Um, which was always a good one. Um, I think I, I'm just trying to think if I can I can name probably that whole team, that promotion team. But I've, that, I've, that won I've that got it. In, I've got it in front of me. I've got the team against United from the first day of the season. Oh, that I don't know. The promotion team when we beat Fulham, I could tell you. You know, the, the United team. I'm not so sure. I, I mean, it was probably McCormick and uh, and Blythe at the back with John Sewell, maybe Tony Taylor. Um, I don't I think Roger Hines had gone by then. Steve Kemba, uh, Roger Hines, yeah, Bobby Woodchuck, uh, he'd gone by then. Maybe it was Biff Johnson, uh, David uh, Payne, David Payne, definitely. No, I was looking for that. He must have been injured because he played so many games, but he didn't play this one. Yeah, who was um, up front? So the, the team is from one to 11 John Jackson in goal, yeah, Roger Hines, Mel Blythe, John Lachlan. Oh, yeah. Roger Hoy, John McCormack, John Sewell, Stephen Kemba by this list here. I don't think he's ever been called oh, yeah. Stephen unless by his mother. Jerry Queen, Cliff Jackson and Mark Lazarus. Yeah, Roger Hoy uh, came in for that season. And I actually thought Mark Lazarus had, had, was not there anymore. Because right. he, he scored in that uh, in that promotion game. Mark Lazarus. Was, was Mark Lazarus who your dad, JD, said was, would be in his palace all-time 11? Or am I getting the, the wrong name there? He said he was so... Possibly. Was it? Was he injured? I can't remember, but yeah, um, yeah. But that team, and and I'll I'll try and dig out the Fulham team from beforehand. See if we can get that one. Yeah, Mark Lazarus um, was a really good good winger. I, I saw him actually when I went to an Orient game a few years ago, and he looked not that much different. I mean, he, <laughs> he's certainly aged well. He wears it well, boy. But we half your listeners are now actually fast asleep. Because they're like, I, this is all just like... Yeah, but the other half are like, are finally! More, yeah, they're more excited than they've ever been. <laughs> well, maybe maybe 10%, 40% who are like... Uh... Didn't Bobby Woodruff, is it... I always get him, there's another Bobby at the time at Palace, I can't remember his name. One of them... Bobby, Bobby... Kellard. It was Bobby Kellard, Bobby Possibly. Woodruff. Did Bobby Woodruff invent the long throw or something? Yeah, well, I don't know if he invented it, but that was one of his specialties, yeah. The wrong throw. But, yeah. Um, he was a good player, good player. Came from Wolves, I think. Um, yeah, God, that was a long time ago. It's ridiculous, ridiculous. So I've much. got that. I've got that Fulham team, and you, you pretty much named everyone. Yeah, within that team. Yeah, that was John Jackson, John Sewell, John Lachlan, David Payne played that game. Yeah. John McCormick, Roger Hoy, Mark Lazarus, Stevie Kimber, Cliff Jackson, Tony Taylor, and Colin Taylor. So yeah. Two Taylors. Colin Taylor. Yeah, another one came from Wolves. Um, yes. Yeah. Wow. God, it's funny how. Those early memories are sometimes easier to, to to lock into than the middle. I mean, 
some of the 80s stuff is, is gone, thank God. Uh, I mean, I'm, I, I uh, had lunch with Kevin Mabbott in L.A. about about a showbiz project, and I, we talked about Palace. And that was really tough for me to sort of, uh, you know, remember a lot of the players that he played with because they're instantly forgettable. Is that the, uh, the, the Mabbott Brothers, the musical? Is that is that possibly in the pipeline? It's, it's in the works, yes. Yeah, nice. It's in okay. the works, yeah. yeah. Those early memories are always, I think there's something about you, your sort of fresh obsession of your team. Yeah. I think they always stick. I Obviously, it depends what the team's doing. Obviously, the 80s was obviously a forgettable, or certainly the mid-80s, a forgettable time for, for Palace. But I think you do, the older you get, there's more information coming in. There's more stuff happening in your life. Yeah. I think it's hard to remember. But those first few, like I could easily tell you anything from sort of mid 90s, mid to late 90s, really line up some results. And it just, there's just that, you've got that young passion. And it's just, it's, it, it's, I think it just stays in, it sticks. Yeah. Well, the 90s was also a far more memorable period. Um, and the 80s was really forgettable. I mean, the Trevor Aylots and all that. But, I mean, it, it and, and, I mean, I followed results and stuff, but I wasn't coming back that frequently when I first moved to America. So I, so it was literally a, a BBC World Service radio, you know, I was listening and following that way. Uh, and then it became more accessible, you know, via TV and especially in the Premier League now, you get far more football over there than you do here. You know, I can see every single Premier League game in America. Our good friend Rebecca Lowe. Yes. Palace alumni, yeah. yeah. FYP alumni, Jim. Really? Yeah, we we uh, we did a mini series of, of interviews just before the or during the World Cup last year, and, and Rebecca came on. And at the time, obviously the Premier League was on hiatus, but she was uh, <laughs> took time from what was hosting the uh, the biggest sports podcast in America at the time uh, because of the interest in the World Cup and the Americans Ben team. And she's picking that up uh, this time around with the Women's World Cup, which is currently on while as we record this episode. So. Uh, yeah, it was lovely that she found time to, to speak to us and talked about her time as, as a Palace yeah, fan. Yeah, no, she's she's great and she always has a lot of time for Palace and Palace fans. And yes. Yeah. yeah, she says she always tries to find the Palace shirt at their uh, Premier League roadshows they do out there. And uh, yeah, it's nice to have a Palace link out there. Um, yeah, and so there are probably like, more, that, that, probably quite more now, more Palace fans, yeah. I'd imagine. More well, the, the, longer, the longer we're in the Premier League, the more. Oh, and the, I think yeah. the kit is a big factor. I do think the red and blue is, is an attractive hit to, to anyone really so yeah, people have a local connection the name's a yeah. nice name yeah the underdog quality yeah I think I think uh, I think the NBC I saw one year the figures were quite remarkable because Palace were in the top the top five or six uh, most watched teams or the teams that people like to watch the most wow there, there is a state and I think we talked this over with Rebecca when we chatted over there was a, a, a map put together by this company about I think it may be along the, the viewing figures I think Palace are the most supported club in Colorado. So I've been trying to get Jim to do a live show in Colorado, but he's not up for it yet. Uh, but Denver, if you want us, we'll come. But That's you know, great. It's a different story. Yeah. The rest of the rest of the country was listed with you know United and Liverpool, you Arsenal and Chelsea. There is Chelsea. a group. There is a there is a quite prominent Palace supporters group from Colorado. I know that are quite vocal on Twitter. So yeah, they're, they're in San Francisco, and there was in Toronto for a while and Vancouver yeah. some, but they're all over the place now. They really are. Yeah, as uh, as we're recording this, the team are out in the states, and uh, all the fans have kind of convened on Chicago. So, hope they're having a great time. But yeah, the uh, lad all over San Francisco group, no, they're they're regular listeners too. So it's it's amazing that Palace have got this global reach now. Yeah, it's fantastic. 
to and as, as you say, Jim, that ability to kind of engage with Palace so easily now compared to the 80s. Does that mean maybe the 80s and, and when we were in maybe the second tier, it was, it was more difficult to follow and well, your love for Palace probably didn't dwindle? Was, just the, at the access to the club was probably at an all-time low for you. Absolutely, especially before the age of the internet. You know, that, then it really kicked off and it was easy. You know, you could find something. Um, but even, you know, the, the Hopkin um, looking to curl one playoff final, I remember having to go over to a friend's house, a Chesterfield supporter, who managed to be able to get it on his computer, which I hadn't figured out by then. So, you know, it was still not that easy. And then I had a, I bought a 10-foot, one of those big, massive 10-foot satellite dishes and put it in my back garden. And then I would get a direct feed of one game a week, you know, or whatever, or two games a week. Uh, and then and then finally, you know, uh, I think Fox bought it first and then NBC. Uh, but it's changed so radically. I mean, Jim, Jim's been to my place in LA. You've, you've seen the Palace flag, right? Oh, yeah. I have there. And uh, that, when I first moved in there, and I, I'm not a flag person. I had a flagpole and I thought, oh, well, I'll just stick a Palace flag up. It's the only thing I have any allegiance to. And I stuck that up there and people would just stop you and go, what? What the hell is that? You know, you'd have to explain. And now I go out for a walk, and almost every day someone goes, "Oh, I saw you drew one one last week." <laughs> or, you know, what, what do you think? Do you think Zaha will stay? What do you reckon? You know, um, you know, Vieira. What, what are your thoughts? You know, just every I can't when I walk around my neighbourhood now without people commenting on the on the club or, or, or they're up well up with it because it's just changed so much. The awareness and um, and anyone who's you know crazy enough to Support Palace, and when you say when you say people around the neighbourhood are stopping you, these are other celebs. I'm guessing people of no, some are. I mean, there's not that many, but but in that neighbourhood who walk uh, as much as I do, Um, I have seen a few though. No, mostly just neighbours I know or people I don't know actually. People who sort of say, "Oh, you're the Palace guy," you know. I'm just imagining having a conversation with Eva Longoria about Patrick Vieira's four two three one system. No, Bob Odenkirk's the guy who I see probably on the walk. The oh, most. wow. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of people around those in the hills, but I, I, I don't know. I, I tend to go very early, so they're probably not up. I did, one of my claim to fame is I, th- I think I, I was the first Palace fan to ever see the flag. You were, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was very early on um, after I'd moved there. About 2009, something like that, I think. Uh, soon after I moved there, 2010. Yeah, right. Okay, so, house, mean, yeah. Yeah, so, you, house, yeah. so you were watching the whole Hillsborough and the, the administration journey from afar as well, which I guess you didn't have the consolation of other Palace fans around you providing the maybe the comfort that more local fans probably well, getting. I, I, I'm trying to think if that was on live. I think it was. I, I remember sweating it out, so it must have been on live. And I wasn't back there at that time. I, I mean, I wasn't back here. I was there. So yeah, that God. I'm trying to remember, to be honest. I, I can't. I've seen the game so many times, you know, and <laughs> so I can't remember if I actually saw it live or just afterwards. Slightly lower blood pressure when you're watching it more recently. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I uh, if I wasn't watching, I was following it for sure. That's for sure on on something. Um, but yeah, that's to me one of the all-time great games. Can I can I go back a bit? Because we were talking about kit earlier, the red and the red and blue, which which obviously you know I'm biased, but I think is the best best style of kit in the UK. Your first game would have been Claret, the Claret and Blue Pinstripes. Yes. So, you, so you'd, you'd remember the switch, which I think was 73, I think, wasn't it, to the red and blue? What were your thoughts at the time when, when that... When Allison came yeah. in. Um, I, yeah, and changed from the Glaziers to the Eagles, uh, both of which I wholly 
prove of now um, because so many other teams do have claret and blue and not many actually have red and blue like this. So I approve of that. And I suppose the nickname I've, I've, uh, I approve of, the Glaziers, is not quite as sexy. Um, I, I'm, but I'm not as big a Malcolm Allison fan as a lot of people. I, I think that he he was a great marketing tool for the club. But actually, anyone that takes us down from two divisions in two seasons, you've got to seriously question, you know. Uh, and, and it wasn't like he wasn't being backed financially. So I think Malcolm Allison was kind of a bit... Uh, not Emperor's New Clothes, because I think he was a very good coach, but I think he was a pretty mediocre at best manager. And yes, it was exciting and the whole Fedora thing and the cup runs, that was all exciting. But to me, the real talent there in terms of management was Terry Venables, or was always Terry Venables. And also, you know, personality wise, I think he was more stable. Yeah, maybe Emperor's second hand clothes. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, people think that's sacrilege, you know, he's worshipped. And and I think, as I say, he was a brilliant marketing tool. But um, in terms of football, I think he wouldn't even rank among my top 10 managers, Palace managers. Just on the marketing, sorry, Jim, I was just going to, just on the marketing bit, is that because he was quite high profile in terms of what TV coverage there was in the UK? He was part of that. He, he covered the oh, England game. So is that what your, your thoughts are on that, that? He was just a manager and out there. Yeah, he was the best PR we could have ever had. You know, he, he got the club way more attention than we'd ever had before. And not always for the right reasons. Um, you know, Fiona Richmond in the bath and all that. Uh, but, yeah, um, I, th- I think that he was a... That's it, as I, I think I've said it, a marketing tool rather than a great manager or even a particularly good manager. And then Venables underneath him. Oh, I think Venables was, was, was the, the guy, yeah. I always rated him and I thought he was brilliant and he was so personable and easy to deal with. Um, he was a lovely guy. Yeah. Not an yeah. opinion shared by many Palace fans. No. <laughs> well, just because, you know, he eventually, you know, took the money and ran. But, you know, you, you could say that about so many people. You know, people could say that about Dougie, you know, and now they love Dougie again. So I, I think Venables served Palace very well. Have you met Venables? Many times, yeah. I, I mean, he, I did a coaching FA coaching course when I left university, and um, I wrote to the club and said, "Could I come down for a week to just sort of see what you know how it's done?" And he, I think he called me and said, "Yeah, come on down." And, and um, wow. he was great, and he assigned Vince Hilaire to kind of look after me and sort of be my kind of minder, and and he was really approachable and um, and really kind of cool about it, and then. There was a game I went to Swindon away where Peter Taylor got sent off. And uh, I, I travelled down with a friend of mine. It was an evening game, midweek. And we went to the train station and pretty much straight after the game and missed our last train. So we were like, what do we do now? We went back to the ground and trying to figure out what the, we were going to do. And then um, saw the team getting on the coach. And I, I had the balls to go up to Terry Venables. And I don't think I'd met him at that point. This was before... This is while I was at university and said, um, you know, we're stuck. And he said, oh, let me talk to Malcolm. And a couple of minutes later, he came back and said, yeah, get on the coach. <laughs> so we traveled back. My mate and I traveled back on the coach with the team and we had beers with them. They stopped at some place, picked up a whole crate of beer. And um, it was quite an, an amazing experience. I probably was 19, 20, I don't know. And you played the following Saturday as well? Uh, it was, I was on the bench. <laughs> yeah, I was on the bench just... You know, getting laughs more than anything. 
So when, what year did you move to the States then? Uh, 1981. 81. Oh, wow. So actually, so just after the team of the 80s and Palace were sort of back on the down. The down yeah, end. yeah. I, I moved January 81. And um, as I say, I was supposed to come back three months later. It's, it's now... Uh, it's now July 2023. <laughs> still, I still have a base there. I mean, I'm sort of spending much more time in Europe now, but um, but I still am based there. Yeah. Just so, to, go, go on. No, you go. Because that, that so that was team the eight. 1980 81 was when Palace were top after the first three months or something of the season. Is that right? Uh, was or was it, it 70? Was it 79 80? 79 80. Right. Yeah. 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 I think we'd already begun the decline. Yes. Yeah, in fact, we may have been, would we have been second tier at that point? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we may have gone down. You were right to get out of there, Jim. You were right to get out. I timed it well. No. You could see Trevor Aylock coming over the hill and you thought, I'm not having any of that. <laughs> and it wasn't for the money. I didn't leave for the money. <laughs> but that, because I, I, you know, I think about Alison before, and I think Alison did make sort of palace sexy, I think, in a way, and you're right, absolutely sort of, a, you know, a PR move. <laughs> but that team, that must have been a really, you know, sort of year before you left, really exciting time because palace are everywhere, you know, everyone's talking about them, they're a fantastic young team. That must have been almost, I guess, like the current palace, maybe last season or season before last, this like exciting young team. That must have been a very exciting time to be a palace fan. Oh, the 70, the 78-79 uh, season when we beat Burnley 2-0 in, in that uh, last game. I, I was working by then in children's theatre and I was touring. I was up in Peterborough and I, I had tickets in the Arthur Waite and I, I don't know how I made it in time because we did our last show, got on a train to London, then I picked up a car that I parked, drove across London and got another train and I literally arrived five minutes before kickoff. And... Um, I'm so glad I did. That was an incredible night. Incredible on, night. On the pitch afterwards? Uh, no, I was on the pitch on, I think, on the 68, 69, but not on that one. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, that, that team was extraordinary. It was such a great young team, and you really did think that this team could go places. Um, you know, Ian Walsh, Swindlehurst, so some, I think Kemba had come back by then. It was Kenny Sansom. It was a really good team uh, and young and promising. And then it all started to dissolve, I think, the next year. Yeah. I guess, Jim, can, uh, I, can, I, can I take you to, um, you referenced earlier, Keeping Up With Palace. And one of the questions we've asked guests as part of the series is, Keeping Up With Palace, particularly while on shoots, we had Doc Brown, Ben Bailey-Smith on, and, and he's missed certain games and had to kind of fudge Keeping Up With Palace while on a shoot or something like that. Have you got any kind of good stories from from set or anything like that where you've been asking people to kind of indicate the score through mime or anything like that? Uh, no, not on mime. I mean, I think when I was doing a play, I got sort of a result relayed to me while I was on stage and almost went, yeah, and just pulled myself in. Um, I'm trying to think. Usually, you know, doing film and TV, it's really easy because you can you've got so many breaks between takes and stuff. So you can just go straight. I did a, a, a TV show with Patrick Stewart a few years ago, and he's a mad Huddersfield fan. Mm, yeah. And we literally spent all day one day, because I think Huddersfield were playing and Palace were playing. And we would, <laughs> minute, the minute director said cut, we were both <laughs> on the phones 
And and, and he was like, oh, shit. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, it was just the whole day was basically about football. And then it interrupted rudely by having to, to act and do these scenes in a hospital bed with, uh, with uh, I can't remember who was, who was, it, who was in it. Uh, it was Patrick. Um, uh, Patrick. Just Patrick. Patrick. And, and no, it was, it was a quite a well-known actress, too. I played her boyfriend. Um, anyway, I can't remember. She's, she's that well-known. But she, she was uh, quite a big star at one stage. If, um, if, if in America, is, is it finding football in common with British actors or are American fans increasingly more kind of engaged with English football? Have they got an English club themselves? Oh, yeah, I think a lot of, of uh, Americans too. Um, you know, I remember working with Seth Myers quite a long time ago, and Seth had already was a was a was a big West Ham fan. Oh, wow! Uh, so yeah, uh, but he he I think he'd done part of his early career. He'd done comedy clubs in Amsterdam, so he was kind of quite well versed in football and European culture. And for some reason, he picked West Ham. He's a uh, comedian, so makes exactly sense. exactly. Well, it's either Palace or West Ham if you're a comedian. Yeah, but but. But yeah, I think now it's. But obviously, the British actors, you know, or James Corden, all those people, they they all very obvious football fans. But but now more and more, you find Americans. Yeah, I knew Seth Myers was into football. I didn't realize he was a he was a West Ham fan. Um, what are you? I so this is really random. I played in a charity match last last month with Humphrey Kerr, who is uh, obviously an actor and is chief exec, I think, at Wrexham. And obviously, Wrexham are going yeah. through their. Hollywood phase. Uh, what are your thoughts? Do you know? Do you know Robin Ryan at all? And what are your thoughts on that? This whole thing we're going through. Humphrey's the big guy. He's a writer, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I know he is. Yeah. Um, Ryan, I, I have only met once. I did a a, a a table reading with him of a film, um, and he was great and very nice. Uh, I don't know Rob at all. Um, I watched that series and I enjoyed it, but it was a classic case of. Um, 18 episodes that should have been 10. They'd obviously been given an order and they stretched it out. I mean, there was one episode where they were just doing Hollywood sketches. It was just like, what the are you doing? And so much of it was repetitive. But it's a great concept. And if they could just keep that down to max of 12 episodes, you can see that series really running. Um, But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the Hollywood side of it less. I found that a bit kind of boring. Um, but I like I love all the community stuff and the local stuff and the non-league stuff. I, the football stuff really interested me. Um, the Hollywood stuff less so because it all felt a bit cliche. And let's let's sell this as LA meets Wrexham. Wrexham are currently on tour in the US, which kind of sums it all up at the moment, which is a very bizarre. Yeah, concept. They played Manchester I mean, United last night, which I can't get my head around. But yeah, again, it's all PR, isn't it? It just feels like a bit. I don't know. I always have an aversion to that sort of whatever's hot. You know, do, you, do you have a do you have an English non-league team from any connection, any any way you grew um, up or any way you were at university or anything like that? No, not really. I mean, Tunbridge Angels I've seen a couple of times. Um, no, I, I don't really have a particular team I follow uh, in non-league. Bromley occasionally I'll glance at their results. Hmm. But no, I mean, I have an Italian Serie B team, Venezia, because I went to see them once by accident. And um, and that's... that's Alpha do it. That's about it. Not a bad trip to do. No, yeah. no, I've always had a soft spot for Fulham because I would go there if Palace were too far away and I couldn't go. And now I'm actually living now fairly close to the ground. I, I, I mean, I'm 
just not sure. I'm 25 minute walk to Fulham and I'm a 10 minute walk to Chelsea, but I wouldn't go pay Chelsea if you paid me large sums of money. <laughs> and you could offer it, but I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. Uh, so in terms of Fulham Palace brings us on to maybe talking about someone close to all of our hearts, but Roy Hodgson. Yeah. What, what are your views on, on, on the job that Roy's done in his previous spell and, and then the job he did coming back towards the end of last season? And we can maybe bring the, bring the conversation around to kind of the, the current status of Palace and, and how your football fandom kind of relates to modern Palace as well. I think the one word you'd associate with, with Roy is stability. You know, that's what you're buying, stability. And um, he's never going to let you down. And I, 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 I de- I, I'm tempting fate by saying this is you kind of know you're never going to get relegated with Roy. <laughs> but you also kind of know you're unlikely to be challenging for the top six in the Premier League or beating anyone four or five nil. You're going to be winning games, you know, by small margins and losing them by small margins. Um, he's going to get the best out of most of the players unless things get a bit stale. Um, and I, I think it's it was a smart move if there was nobody that, that the management at the club and the, the, the hierarchy felt was the right person this summer. And from what I've talked to people, they didn't. Um, I think there is someone they have got in mind uh, who, who to come uh, if, if he becomes available. And it looked like he might be available this summer, but for some reason it didn't happen. Um, so I think the Roy thing made, makes absolute sense. And, I've, you know, I, I, I've met Roy a couple of times and, and he's he's great because, you know, it's just I'm, I'm so anti-ageist being an old fart myself that I'm just so thrilled to see a man in his mid-70s being given that kind of chance. And people still saying he can do it, you know, because why would you, you know, you don't lose it. It's like, you know, older actors, older writers, they don't they actually get better, generally speaking. They don't have much energy. But no one's asking him to, you know, run around the pitch sixty times, um, or, or, or sort of do do any of that stuff. So I, I think that it's it's really it's a good move right now. It's a good move. Uh, where does um, where does Roy rank? And in fact, in fact, uh, Jack did some great prep here. Jack Jack th- thought for uh, best manager, which is ask you best director, trying to make it sort of Hollywood things. Um, but where does Roy rank then because you'll have you'll have seen a fair few managers then in your time come and go at Palace. Where did yeah, he rank I, up there with the Burt Heads and the Steve Copples? I would say Roy really probably is in number two. He's in the top three for sure. It's hard for me because I'm so biased. I really just always have such a soft spot for Steve Copple because I think Steve really, you know, he made the most out of very little, and he and Ron between them were, were incredible at finding players diamonds in the rough and, and I think Roy is more like just give me 22 Premier League pretty bloody players and I'll give you a team you know I'll, I'll get you the results so I think Steve would probably be my number one and then I would say probably Roy and then Terry Venables I, I can't really you know I, I don't maybe I'm missing somebody obvious but um, those would probably be the three that I would, I would. Alan Pardew no? <laughs> well, like, well not and not Mark Mallison <laughs> Uh, not and not Alan Pardew. Uh, no. You, no, it's funny you talk about Steve Koppel because I, I know uh, I first came to know about you through the BBS. Sort of been late, sort of late nineties when I joined the BBS, and I guess that was a really great way for you to be in connection with Palace back home. Yeah, I know you're very active on it. And then the um, 
Palestinian administration and yeah. supporters trust started rallying around literally i mean literally i remember trying to scrape together the money to buy the club um but you so you were quite involved in that though weren't you in the supporters trust at that point yeah yeah no i founded it with richard house and and um paul newman uh we founded the trust and uh set the whole structure up um which then became the structure for almost every supporters trust in in britain uh, and and some in europe too um, it was based on a working men's club um kind of system where it wasn't a registered charity but you could take loans and stuff so it was richard house who kind of was did all the legal side of that and um yeah so i was really involved and and steve copper was quite involved too you know in helping us and liaising with us um so that was an exciting period in terms of the togetherness of the football club and i was doing a show i was writing and producing a show for the bbc and it took far more of my attention than that show did, you know, the six episodes of that show. Um, and I had to do the speeches on the pitch at halftime and all that stuff. So I was sort of kind of the front man in terms of that. And uh, Paul and Richard ran it in, in, in the nuts and bolts of it. You know? I would have been there, I think, when you were doing speeches on the pitch. I would have been right by season ticket in, in the Homestead then. It's just, it's just mad thinking back, like to where Palace are now, that it wasn't that long ago that, you know, we were marching up the Homesdale Road with Chris from One More Point dressed as a Grim Weeper. You know, we were shaking buckets and, and trying to scrape together pennies to save the club. Oh, it was awful. I mean, it, it was really awful. There's a story I tell, and, and, and now here comes the shameless plug, in my book, Caught With My Pants Down and Other Tales from a Life in Hollywood, available on Amazon and all other outlets in hardback, paperback, and audiobook. <laughs> My pants down and other tales from the life in Hollywood. Anyway, it's a story I tell in that. Um, that was subtle, wasn't it? Um, story what was, I tell it, what was it called again, Jim? What was it called? <laughs> pants down and other tales from life in Hollywood. And by the way, it was available. I don't know if it still is in the club shop. Um, I had to give a speech. I flew over from LA uh, to, to, to see a game. And I got to Heathrow and got to the ground at quarter to three. And Paul and, and Richard grabbed me and said, look, um, we, we've got this speech that we were going to do that Sean Hughes was going to do at halftime. And Sean Hughes was, was a very seasoned comedian. And he said he's bottled it. He's, t- he's terrified because the whole of the Arthur Waite was taken up by Manchester City fans. It was Palace against Manchester City. We were in the, in the championship. Um, and they were top of the league. And we, they got the whole of the Arthur Waite. And he doesn't want to do it. And they just sh- shoved this script in my hand and said, halftime, can you do it? And I said, uh, yeah, I was so jet lagged. I said yes. So th- during the first half, I'm flicking through this thing and then, uh, okay. And then half time comes and I'm led to the center of the field like a lamb to slaughterhouse. And I've got a microphone in my hand and the script in the other hand. And I'm thinking, I'm absolutely screwed here. I'm, I, I don't know if I can say swear on the show because that's not what I was thinking. It was something more explicit. And I looked over and I thought, I'm now going to do the biggest sellout of my life because otherwise I have no chance here. So I started by saying, let me begin by welcoming all the Manchester City fans here today because they were already drowning me out with boos and cheers and, and wanker signs. And, um, and I said, I'd like to welcome every Manchester City fan here today not only do I hope you win the league, I hope you beat Manchester United home and away next season in the Premier League. 
And suddenly the whole of that side of the ground went dead quiet. And then this huge cheer and round of applause came. And that was it. Bang. They were dead silent again. And I could do the speech to the rest of the three sides of the ground. But I, I say in the book, it's the Guinness Book of Records must be contacted again because it is surely the only time that someone has licked 10,000 asses in one in, in the space of 30 seconds. I hope you said buckets round the Arthur Waite just after you said that as well. To see uh, if they well, we had to... buckets. We had everything. We had loan notes, the buckets. And then, um, you know, I, I did another one, I think, in the evening game after that against Bolton. And that was less less successful because I pissed off the, the administrator, Simon Patterson, because I said, you know, that the club was in danger of going under, which it really was. And he said, oh, you scare tactics. And I said, no. It's not scare tactics, it's the truth and you know it. So don't fucking tell me I'm, you know, scared. And uh, he was a nightmare, a greasy little man, awful, dreadful little administrator. The second guy, I think, was much better, the administrator we had in 2010. Uh, Brendan Guilfoyle, was that Yeah, his name? Brendan Guilfoyle was a proper, you know, accountant. The other guy was uh, just horrible, horrible, greasy little man. When you said it didn't go as well for the Bolton game, I thought you just slagged off Nat Lovecast or something like that for... <laughs> 10 minutes before no, you went no, off to... Told everyone that Peter K was... Didn't go as well, left like great. Thanks, everyone. I'm Sean Hughes. Have a great, great night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it didn't go as well in terms of there was a smaller crowd and people had heard the speech a few days before. <laughs> and then and then I got into trouble with the administrator for, for scare tactics, uh, scaremongering. So he actually went public and said that the trust was scaremongering. I remember, I remember I remember, him being a bit weird from that, from that time, obviously, not that I was involved. Was that around the time of... The, of uh, this Jerry Lim, quote unquote, was absolutely. That... He he put all his faith in this Jerry Lim. Was he real? He, well, I met him. Yeah, I met him in Mayfair. He was a Malaysian kind of. It wasn't even. A, he was a businessman of sorts. He was just an agent for other people. And yeah. it was. I mean, Paul and and, and uh, Rich and I went around there, and we sat around and, and we just listened to this madman go, and we knew that he was. It was all bollocks, and. Um, yeah have the money and 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 and, and the, the administrator that was the only egg in his basket and we actually put simon jordan in touch with jerry lim because simon jordan did emerge and we talked to him and he would the, the administrator wouldn't even meet him so he said look can you wow. introduce me to this other guy so we did and that was when that um trojan horse situation happened it was a bizarre thing and then we should have known you should never trust simon jordan um, he he got Jerry Lim to buy the club for him, and Jerry Lim owned it for about ten minutes and took a fee of a half a million, and uh, and then the club was signed over to Simon Jordan, and and the and the administrator had no idea, and that was the trust manufactured that, and in return we were promised a, a seat on the board. And then the minute Simon Jordan took over the club, he said, ah, oh, the trust needs rebranding. It's so everybody associates you with negative times. So we, I'm, I'm not going to have you on the board. And from that moment on, we knew that he was going to be bad news ultimately. And it would all come crashing down again. And it did. What, what wow. do you make of his emergence of a media career in recent years? Then? That's, he, he's, to be honest with you, I don't agree with what he says or doesn't. He's an attention whore, but he's very good at it. Mm. And, and I credit where credit's due. He was a terrible owner of a football club, and he's a, a, a kind of a fun pundit. 
because and that's what he always was you know he, he when he was you know it's, it's sort of like trump trump's a heckler yeah and a, and a, a horrible human being and to compare him simon jordan does simon a, a disservice um, but i was never a simon jordan fan he knows it and um we've kind of exchanged messages before about about certain things but but i do have a grudging respect for him as a, a pundit i think he's very good yeah i mean the jordan years were mad i, I really harp back to the glory days of the jerry Lim era to be honest that's probably my favorite era as a my favorite Jordan. 10 minutes as best, a best chairman i think ever <laughs> 10 minutes they were they were we were flawless we never got beaten we were <laughs> I think it re- relegated once during you know he's just yeah it, what, what the mirror was it was short but god it was sweet yeah <laughs> have you no, ever heard of jerry lim again he just disappeared completely off the face of the earth and no one's ever heard or seen sight of him again I have to admit, I, I genuinely, up until now, wasn't... Because at the time, like, there wasn't as much, you know, news outlets and stuff as there was then. You really only got, like, little bits of information. So I, I genuinely, up until now, July 2023, wasn't 100% sure that he was a real person. Yeah, no, no, he was. I, I can assure you. Um, I went to that meeting in that, that Mayfair apartment, the flat, and uh, I'll never forget it. I never, And I think, uh, I think Phil was there. Phil Alexander was there. So Phil could probably um, verify some of the details. And then I left and Paul, take, we sort of team tagged it because I could be there for the first hour and then I had to get to the BBC to do the show. So Paul came in, I think, and took over and we just compared notes afterwards. Um, and he had some female band he was managing, all female band. One of those awful, I don't know. And that band went on to be the Spice Girls. Exactly. Um, much second time around administration wise then or no, no. i was not um uh I, I i wasn't involved in that at all and that seemed to be really well i think steve Parrish played an absolute blinder on that he managed that one superbly in so many different ways um and it and it, it obviously turned the fortunes of the club around completely i mean we are today yeah, yeah. I was going to say, and isn't it mad, though, that, like, <laughs> I literally had to say the phrase, and were you involved in the second administration ten years later? I mean, it's just... I know. Nine. Nine, nine years <laughs> later. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Uh, and, and to be honest, we could see it coming. Um, but by that stage, the trust was in different hands. You know, we'd all sort of, uh, resigned, and so we, we weren't really involved. Um, and then, obviously, I got to know those guys very, very well within the first year or two that they took over. Yeah, very different to uh, Simon Jordan. Oh, we can start with like about Simon Jordan, because I don't think he'll ever come on a podcast, so it's, ab- it's absolutely fine. What, what's know. funny, Jim, is we posed that manager question as best director, but ended up talking about the best directors the club have ever had. So it's kind of a, li- a literal question. What about players, Jim? Who who are your kind of top three, five best players? You've, come on, Jack, say it, come on. What, what lead, leading men? Is that... <laughs> Who are your leading Palace men? i got to go with the unoriginal. Ian Wright is probably the most exciting in terms of 
just sheer raw ability and and the fact that he could I think he he reached heights that no other Palace player apart from possibly Kenny Sansom has reached. Um, in terms of impact on the club, there's no question that Wilf um, is the most impactful club in the, player in the club's history. Uh, beyond that, I've got a soft spot for so many different players that I, I've always liked and uh, who contributed in their own way. And, and I just sort of really appreciated it for different reasons. There's so many of them. You know, I think Mark Bright was hugely underrated as a player. I don't yeah. think, you know, as a straight man in a comedy duo in Best in Show, I really appreciate the straight man's role. And, you know, Ian Wright did prove he could be Ian Wright without Mark Bright. But at Palace, he wouldn't have been Ian Wright without Mark Bright. Uh, and so Mark's up there. Steve Kember's up there. You know, there's there's lots of players who I really have a soft spot. And then there's sort of the, the underdog players like Peter Ramage became a pal. And and I I, and I love the players of character like that um, who 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 really are not your typical footballer. They they they've got a kind of a moral uh, and a and a philosophical approach to to work and and that that I really I really appreciate. And and uh, I thought that he brought something to the club along with Damo um, and and Mille. That was absolutely vital. And Peter wasn't in, he was quite happy to step aside when it was not his turn to be on stage. And most players aren't like that. And did that you get to know Rambo when he came to the States as well? Did you? Yeah, I did. Well, I, I went to see him playing for Phoenix. Uh, so I saw him uh, when he was out in America. Uh, and then I saw him, I went to a Newcastle game right before COVID, I think, and saw him up there. Um, but he's just a genuinely all round good human being. And and so I, I sort of tend to, to like those guys, you know, a lot. Um, and there's a few of them. Eddie McColgate's a bit another good guy. Um, but, but there's there's quite a few who who I sort of think are, are really decent human beings. And, and as you get older, that becomes very important. Yeah, a good ensemble cast, you could say. Yeah, I'm, I've always, absolutely. It's just good, interesting you bring that because I've always loved ensembles and ensemble players and people who go, I, I, I'm going to take my bit in the spotlight and then I'm going to get a new go. And I, I, that. A true team player to me is so valuable. It's not about them. You know, I thought Sean Derry was always in that category. So I've always had a huge admiration for Sean. Um, I, I love Julian for very different reasons. You know, um, John Jackson was a huge favorite of mine. I, I think I like people who don't seek the limelight. I kind of, I, I think Will Hughes is probably not a guy I would sit down and have a beer with. He's probably quite prickly. But I admire his refusal to actually play the social media game and just concentrate on things that he likes in life and football. And that's kind of, um, I think that's kind of admirable. Uh, I don't know him at all, but, but, but that, that I kind of think is rare today. Yeah, I agree. I think that, and there are some players in football who I think <clears throat> the light shines on them and there are some players who shine the light on others. And I think Derry was one of those. There's a, there's a lovely phrase from the world of football uh, that some players are piano carriers and some players are piano players and yeah. the team needs a mix of both of those i think palace have been at their best when they've had an equal sort of balance of both of those kind of players absolutely absolutely any team really has to have that and the selfless player that's gonna just not moan and i mean you know sometimes it can go to i mean i, I think you have to for your own benefit have a bit of kind of you know i worry about someone like gyro who who i think is a genuinely nice guy but I think he's almost maybe too nice for his own good because he should be knocking on every manager's door saying, 
I should be starting. Um, because he, but but he's. I think he's a laid back guy who's quite happy to 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 do his bit when he's called upon. But but I think you know it might have hurt his career a bit being being that 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 nice of a guy and good of a guy. Yeah, I agree. I it could be wrong. That's my speculation, by the way. I don't. I don't. But he seems to have that. He does. You know, didn't know if we'd cover Jairo Riedemel today, but here we are. But he seems to have that kind of role within the squad as. The bridge between the the youngsters and new signings and the and the kind of mainstay of the squad and it's yeah, a but, role that someone like Roy Hodgson really values because he's doing parts of his job that he knows he can trust Gyro to do. Absolutely, and that's that's those clubs are really lucky to have people like that around. Yeah, and by the way, has he ever? I can't think of a single occasion when he's let us down. No. Kind of chucked in the deep end when he first came here. I, I was mean, going to say, was, only the first only first few games where no one knew what they were doing. Yeah, the, uh, yeah that Frank, first game, everybody was all over the place. Yeah. But, but Jaro, once he sort of was played in the right position, has never let us down. Yeah. I mean, and it's the same. I mean, there, there, there are players like that that really you remember. Stuart O'Keefe was another one. Oh. I remember just, just because. Because yeah, no, he never absolutely. ever let you down. You know, he yeah. was never going to be a great player. He was always probably going to be a low league player. But man, he never let Palace down. We had uh, an interview with Kevin Phillips uh, in May uh, yep. to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the playoff win. And he talked about Stuart O'Keefe. Yeah. When he saw him coming on for KG, there was a concern that maybe it was going to be a bit too big an event for him. He came on and was perhaps the best player on the pitch, other than Wilf. Yeah. It was it, he was unbelievable. He, certainly his best game in the Palace show, and it just happened to be at Wembley in a player final. So you, know, know. you have your moments. It's uh, yeah. Sometimes it's your time, and as you both said, sometimes that light is shone on certain players, and then they move back. And, uh, yeah, and he seemed quite humble about. It. I saw him actually after the game and at the, at the party, and I said, "You were superb today." And he just looked at me, sort of shocked, and went, "Oh, oh, oh, thanks." You know, he was just genuinely shocked. <laughs> Um, but he was fantastic. I agree with you. He was probably our best player, other than well, and Julian. But actually, everybody played brilliantly that day. Damo was sensational that day. Did I uh, play on one leg? All that. Yeah, sensational. So. Um, so yeah, and I mean, but 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 he was really slotted in, and we didn't miss KG. My what favorite, that? my favorite O'Keefe moment probably when I got him to call Andy Street a ginger bastard on camera for his birthday, uh, and then that got me banned from Sellers for about a week. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. I was going to say, we'll, we'll, we'll have to have a, a separate episode with you, Jim, to talk about that 2013 player final post-match party. Oh, um, if, I'm sure, sure there are a few stories. I, I'm amazed I can still remember some of it, but I can. So, shall, we, shall we bring the curtain down on this podcast, uh, Jack, with just a final question? And uh, I am ad-libbing as I go here, because I want to ask you about, you've seen so many huge Palace moments over your time of being a Palace fan, the highs, the lows, and everything in between. What would, and this is probably a very unfair question, but what would be your favourite moment, slash, I'm going to say scene, doesn't really work that, but anyway, your favourite moment from, you know, all your years of being a Palace fan? It was that, that 2013 playoff final. Oh, there you go. It was, it was, because I knew what was at stake, you know, by that stage, I, I knew Steve very well, both Steves, and um, it was an amazing day, I, I got to, you know, booze it up with all my pals in various pubs, and then I was with uh, Eddie, my friend Eddie Zard, and Sarah, now we'll say, Susie, Susie, <laughs> I got his name wrong, uh, but Eddie doesn't mind, Susie, um, and, and so it was kind of fun, and his dad, who I only met once before, and so we were all sitting together, 
and it was just a great day all round. And then to 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 win it in that way, and I'd missed the other playoff finals. I'd missed the um, the, the Hopkin one, uh, and so it was. Uh, I, I actually. My heart in that last 10, 15 minutes when we were defending that 1-0 lead started going into double rhythm. And I was like, I, I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> and uh, it didn't stop until about 15, 20 minutes after the game. And um, I, I don't think I've ever been that nervous or tense. And I ended up having to have uh, an operation <laughs> to correct oh uh, uh, atrial flutter. But I remember I had the worst episode of it during that game and um and then i i was literally in tears when they when that the players were receiving that trophy and they came up and got their medals i was in tears uh and um and then i i was fortunate enough to be invited to the party afterwards and uh at the in central london um and and, and it was just an incredible day all round. i just I think it was the height because I just knew what it meant. I just knew that we had gone from being a club that was bought for 12 million, ground included, to a club that was worth 200 million. Whatever happened, even if we got relegated, you know, we were probably, it, it, it just changed. I knew it had changed the, 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 the club's history. So that was the biggest day. And other than that, there have been so many. I, mean, I was at the Wembley final, 3 3 final, which was one of the great games. I can remember, um, but now I could write several volumes of books on great palace moments, and several volumes on terrible palace moments too. Volume one and volume two. Uh, Jim, it's been great. We could talk to you for hours, to be honest. But we really appreciate you giving us the time. It's been lovely catching up with you and, and getting your your palace memories. And maybe you'll come and join us again at some point for for another chat. No, I can always bore for England talking about Palace. I probably do more football podcasts now than showbiz ones uh, in the States as well. I just did one for for the States. Um, yeah, I'm the go-to guy there to talk about Palace. Are there, are, there many, are there many other Palace fans in Hollywood? Have you ever, ever had any sort of random conversations or bumping into sort of Palace uh, celebs? Or? In Hollywood, I don't think so, because they, they all live here. They're all based here. I don't think so. I, I think I'm, yeah, so that's why I'm the go-to guy, you know, for Danny Higginbottom or any of those guys when they're doing Peace on Palace that get called Jim. No, I mean, all, all the others, uh, yeah, um, Paul Greengrass is based here. I think most of, most of the other kind of show-busy people are all based here. Well, keep flying the flag for Palace in Hollywood, yeah. li- literally. I will, I will. I will. Try and fly it wherever I am. And thanks so much for joining us, Jim. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Great talking. (laughs) 
Well, there you go. That was Jim Piddock on the FYP podcast. Jim has been on the pod a few times before. Oh, God, over the last decade or so. But it's nice to actually sit down and talk about his palace story, his journey, which, as we said at the top, Jack, went <laughs> starts a long time ago, back with that promotion team of 68-69. Uh, um, can you imagine saying to a young Jim Piddock, you know, in so many years' time, Palace will be in the Premier League? Well, first of all, he'll be like, what the hell's the Premier League? But it'll be in the top division. 10 years now we've come a long way since then and any fan you know my dad was was at university at that point any fan that remembers those times this must be an absolute sort of utopia really considering where palace have come from you know you say imagine saying to jim piddock we we actually sat with jim piddock for an hour and a half we very much could have asked him exactly that question (laughs) slightly missed opportunity yeah i I get your point i mean for a lot of palace fans of, of of that age and and palace fans that um, their first team was that that team of 68, 69. Um, you know, so much has gone on since then. And the fact it's now that we're having our most sustained spell in the top flight, is, it's been a long time coming. But um, yeah, it was great to go through that team um, with Jim. And he, he highlighted some of the players that maybe don't get the, hmm. the credit from that team that 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 deserve it. So that, that was really lovely. You're, you're um, Colin Taylors, you're Tony Taylors, you know, <laughs> these guys. I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah. I thought it was, uh, it was lovely to go back there. Um, Cause you know, so many people still love that team and those players so much for, for what they did for the club. Um, but the palace trust stuff was, was fascinating. And then, you know, slightly different venture, but the involvement he has with palace for life as well. So, um, you know, for, from afar, from near, He's remained in touch with the club in in many different ways and very important ways too. That that you know the Palace Trust work was fundamental to the securing of the club safety. So you know without the efforts of the likes of of, of Jim Piddick and, and so many listeners that listen to this would have contributed to the efforts that that were had yeah. back then to, to save the club. But to hear it from Jim, a man who was at the kind of forefront of that effort, um, yeah. It's quite interesting it, to hear it so starkly from from someone that was so involved in it. Um, how close we were to to losing the club. Good job we didn't have that happen for at least another eleven years. But anyway, that's a, that's a different story. <laughs> Hang on, it's now been thirteen years, so we're we're out of that cycle, thankfully. Just about. Good times. Good times. Um, I remember. I remember that ninety nine time so vividly and the, the, you know people on the bbs are asking literally if you've got five quid if you've got 10 quid you can get, it was literally scraping buckets time and yeah. and i remember i think i think one million was the target if we can raise one million pounds we can save the club and and you think about now the money that is just involved in football in general not just palace it was it was a mad time and jim really is a i well, he's a celebrity in his own right. He's, he's a bit of a Palace celeb, I think, for those of us at that time who remember Palace struggling so badly because he was driving it. It was him and Steve Coppel and Richard House. You know, there was a few of them. And but he, yeah, he was a real, yeah, he was a real shining light at that time. So anyway, it was take, a, it was a weird take, time. Takes a brave man to uh, address a whole away section of the Arthur Waite as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So. <laughs> Fair play to him for that. Well, he's sort yeah, of got, but... you know, from you know, from what he's saying, he sort of got suddenly thrust into this the limelight of doing this stuff. But when it's your club and yeah. it's literally do or die, I think any of us would. I think, and I obviously would because I love being centre attention. But I think, I think anyone is a Palace fan would because you know that this is literally, you know, days away from maybe losing the club. So whatever it takes, if it takes talking to the whole of an away end, you know, if it takes whatever going into these weird meetings with weird businessmen, you you do it because it's your club. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was lovely, though. Lovely to talk to him. And, uh, yeah, the second of our season-long series. So, 
Um, it's come around quickly, the, the first week of September. Hopefully a similar point tally for Palace before we uh, release the third episode at the start of October. If we're still on seven points, start of October, then Jack, then we're in, we're in trouble. <laughs> hey, seven points from eight games. You don't want to sniff at that. But uh, no, in all seriousness, hopefully it's a lot more than that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it will be. Um, yeah, thank you so much, to Jim, for joining us. Thank you, Jack, as well for being part of the uh, the interview as well. It's always uh, I'm enjoying doing these with you. It's a good series. Uh, and to our sponsor. And to our sponsor, Eternity Home Finance. Of course, details in the show notes. Um, as ever, we're back at the start of next month. If you're on a patron, you're going to get it on the first Wednesday of the month. If you're on the public feed, you get it on the first Friday with another Palace person. We'll say just as much as that in our interview series, and we hope you're enjoying them. Uh, but until then, well, I won't say see you next month, Jack. I'll probably see you next week for the podcast. But yeah. until the, until let, let's keep it in the realms of the interview series. Until I see you next month, Jack. Have a, have a lovely next, month. See you in October. See you in October, <laughs> Jim. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye bye. Podcast Network.